Well, hey guys, welcome and thanks so much for turning into Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I am so proud to have this interview that I'm about to do. It chokes me up a little bit. And why? I have been talking about on Let's Be Blunt now for a full year over the disgrace of the cannabis racism and the institutionalized hatred that has surrounded cannabis for now a hundred years. And I am blessed and fortunate to have on the show today someone who is a living example of what it is I am talking about. What is that, Montel? Well, I told you that it's just because of one guy, and nearly not one guy, but it's because of the efforts of one guy, a guy by the name of Harry Anslinger, back almost 100 years ago now, who was one of the leaders in the prohibition movement for alcohol, who, while he was a a prohibitionist for alcohol, literally walked around the country touting the fact that he thought that cannabis and marijuana was a less violent drug and would be a better option for people than alcohol. Then all of a sudden the guy loses his job and needed something to do. So he decided to reach out to his boys, William Randolph Hearst and Charles DuPont and get funding to pressure our government into making something illegal back in 1937, based on what's called the marijuana tax act. He started making marijuana and hemp illegal and did so by literally convincing a nation and a world that this was something that only those darkies did, something that only those black people did, something that only those Mexicans did, and vilified cannabis in such a way that over the course of now the last hundred years, Since the Marijuana Tax Act was passed in 1937, we've seen that almost 80% of all people arrested for cannabis violations in America and around the world are people of color, where they allow people who aren't of color to do the thing and use an excuse, well, I don't want to put them in prison with all those people. This was nothing more than a new enslavement tool. They had lost all chances of enslaving Black people and Mexicans. They decided that instead of using chains, let's use bars. Let's use this as a tool to put them in prison because we know that they do this and we know that we can catch them with this. And as a matter of fact, not only can we catch them with this, this is something that they actually plied us with, you know, back during slavery and at the end of slavery and throughout the whole slavery. Cannabis was something that slave owners used to subdue the slaves, let them smoke it and consume it. Let them use it. But then all of a sudden, 1937, here we come with this tax, with this law that vilifies cannabis in a way that gives those racists another tool in which they could literally go after people of color any way they wanted. And then you jump forward and look at the 60s and the early 70s, where we had a government that just stood by and made sure that. Cannabis and other illicit drugs were open flow into our inner cities of America. 
trying their best to get substances into our towns so that they could then turn around and arrest people for doing it. And while this was going on, this left so many of us, so many African-Americans and so many Hispanics, literally as victims on the battlefield. We weren't collateral damage. We were direct damage. And an easy way to help fill up all of the then starting burgeoning for-profit prisons that were taking off across the country. We look back about three years ago, four years ago, I think about 50% of all arrests in this country were because of cannabis. For either minor possession. And most cannabis violations are violations that are non-violent crimes. And that brings me to why I'm so happy to have the guest on that we have today. I guess today, never in his life committed a violent crime. But he was, is the longest serving nonviolent offender in Michigan state history. He was sentenced to 40 to 60 years and has spent the last 26 years of his life in a Michigan prison for a cannabis related charge, even though recreational cannabis was legalized in Michigan back in 2018. By the end of 2021, recreational cannabis is projected to be worth about $1.5 billion in the industry in Michigan alone. He spent almost half his life in prison for selling something that is legal today that people are making money off of that not a lot of people who are of of color are making money off in the state of Michigan. It cost the state close to a million dollars to keep him in prison over the course of the last 26 years. It was one of the most egregious cases of injustice going on in this entire country. And fortunately, with the hard work of the last prison project, the grassroots law project, and the support of hundreds of thousands of people who signed petitions and helped raise the awareness, he was granted clemency and released from prison on January 28th. Mr. Michael Thompson, my goodness, sir, welcome. And thank you so much for being a guest here on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, my dear. I I I I don't I really wish I could figure out where to begin with you, my brother. I I want to start by going way back and starting at the beginning of the story. Um, you were a minor marijuana dealer, correct? Right. Um, had you done this for long? Let's let's go back. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, and what got you into selling marijuana to begin with. So let's start there. Well, what got me selling marijuana was uh, I wanted a better life for my family. Uh-huh. And so, you know, like anybody else, you were, got into the hustle and started hustling. And um, how old well, how old were you then when you started? Uh, I was young when I started selling marijuana. It was a long time ago, you know what I'm saying, once that sell marijuana. But my thing was, uh, my tale is this, uh, I just want uh, people like yourself, you know what I'm saying, to uh, 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 don't give up uh, speaking. Don't give up? No, sir. I definitely won't give up. 
Take your time. Man, I hate this. <laughs> I know, my brother. As, as one, uh, people like yourself to don't give up on guys that, that need a chance like me. And well, you had hundreds of thousands of people who didn't want to give up on you, sir. I mean, you know, we look back at your history and, and you know, yeah, okay. So you got caught for selling three pounds to an undercover, uh, undercover police officer. However, pounds are being sold in your state on a daily basis. Now, people are making money off of those pounds. And even after you, even after the law was passed to allow for recreational cannabis in your state, they kept you in prison for another year, two years and a half. You know, uh, can you can you take me back? Let's talk about something that maybe may be less emotional. Take me back to when. Let's go back to when you got arrested. Let's go back to when you got caught. Let's well, go when, I got, when I got arrested, uh, this is a friend of mine that I held this baby. Uh, he was the manager of a muffler company, and he asked me to call me one day to ask me, could he get three pounds? And, and I told him I wasn't doing it anymore, which I was. I was fading out of it. Um, I was doing good on my productions. You know, I was doing Rita Franklin and all them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patty LaBelle. Uh, Temptation OJ's uh, Dramatics uh, and uh, Gerald LeVert and on and on and so I was doing good there and that's where my love was you know what I'm saying uh, doing uh, promotions and, and uh, concert productions and so so it just uh, uh, I told him that uh, I really wasn't into it no more but he kept on playing with my conscience and Make me feel guilty because he said he was doing a lot for my family. Uh, 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 give him good muffled deals, uh, shock deals, and all that kind of stuff. And so finally, I gave in and told him I'd, I'd do it for him. And I'd get, get him three pounds of marijuana. So that's what happened. I uh, gave him three pounds of marijuana and come to find out that he was working for the police. Because they had to deal with him. Yeah, yeah, he had some problems of his own. I didn't know that. And I, so he gave me up for save himself, save him and his wife. And you know the vial they 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 arrested you for the marijuana, and they used the marijuana as an opportunity to then search your house. Correct? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They used the, the marijuana to search my house, but. Uh, uh, they they knew all the time that, that there was no buy money in that house. Uh, what, what it was was they wanted to find something to put in my house so they can get a gun charge. And uh, so they can get a gun charge, they can get a gun charge, they can stack the charges on it. And that's what they do in Michigan, my dear. Uh, they stack charges on you a lot, especially if you're a person of color. Uh, they stack charges on you. And, uh, and another thing they do, uh, they put the habitual offender on you. And they create something that 
put the bench opinion when they stack the charges. And uh, that's what they do, uh, people in Michigan. It, it's, it, it's like having a rope and, and, and hanging a person by his color, by his color skin. And so, so basically what I'm saying is uh, Michigan uh, uh, laws and, and, and the justice system is broken. Man, it's broken. And, and I'm talking about uh, the hatred. Now, look what they did to me. The judge, they need to check some of these judges out, man, because this lady gave me 42 to 60 years for three pounds of marijuana and felony fire. I mean, come on, man. I didn't have no, you know, gun even, it wasn't even connected to the crime. But hey, they, the, the guns, let's talk about that, because when they went and they searched your house, they found a gun in a safe, which was a, yeah. a, a antique. Right, right. That was something that was just a, a, a collector's item, <laughs> collector's not, item, not right. being used. And your wife had a gun that was a legally registered weapon, but right. they stacked it up against you because you had a prior arrest and said that there you domicile that must then belong to you too, even though they knew it didn't belong to you. Yeah, right, right, right. And so that's the reason why they were able to give you that 40 to 60 years. There you go. Because after you put that bitch on me, and they find the guns, and I had a prior record. So, so, so now the guns have become a floater, and now they can give me life. And that's what a lot of young people don't understand, man. They don't understand that. Don't let them just pat you on the wrist and, and say, "Okay, well, we need probation." But, but uh, the thing is, when they stack them felonies on you, oh man, you know, saying you dealing with a life bit. And you know, I mean, now, now, did did not back? Did you not have? Was it a public defender that that handled your case back then, or did you have a real lawyer? No, I had, I had a lawyer. I had a lawyer, but the lawyer was smoking crack. Yeah, uh, uh, he was. Uh, they they found him in a uh, uh, hiding in a closet when he did a raid. He was in hiding in a closet, and they kind of found I gave him forty thousand dollars to represent me, and he's smoking. I didn't know that. That's absolutely insane, and so. You really didn't have reasonable representation. So, I mean, okay, so you go through the trial. While the trial was going on, did you think that judge was going to say to you 40 to 60 years? No, not, not, not even close. I didn't think that. that. Uh, because I asked my lawyer when she said it, I said, I asked my lawyer, I turned to my lawyer, I said, man, what did she say? What did she say? And he said, just a minute, just just be cool, just be calm. And, and then, then, so uh, he said, Your Honor, for clarification to the court, is you talking about 42 to 60 months? She said, no, 42 to 60 years. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. And, and what went through your heart and mind when those words came out, sir? Well, I thought she was crazy. 
That's you, know, right. you know, I said, man, she crazy. You know, I mean, man, it's it's just like, man, you know, I know guys that put broomstick up somebody's ass and killed them and then get no uh, 42 to 60 years. Right. And they led you out of the courtroom, put handcuffs on you, took you in, put you in that 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 bus. The table. Well, well, when they got me in the back, they said, uh, one of the officers said, and my lawyer told me this week, cool. He said, O.J. Simpson should have been wearing these shoes. That's crazy. And uh, so I just looked at him. I said, wow, O.J. Simpson. I, I, I got something to do with O.J. Simpson. Sick, my friend. So, I mean, did you think immediately you'd be able to get an appeal heard and they would change this? To, like, I'm, was this 1996? Yeah, but I didn't think I'd be in prison two years, my dear. I didn't think I'd be in prison two years. I mean, I mean, I would bet anybody I'd be in no prison. They ain't gonna, they ain't gonna, this, this ain't going to stick. Ain't no way this court system, appeal system, will let this stand. And then 25 years later. And through that 25 year, first off, the first year ticks by. And well, I want to go back to that first night in that prison cell. You said you were sitting there going, no, this ain't this ain't real. This can't be real. It's not going to be real. I ain't going to be here for 20, for you know, 40 <laughs> years. That's not happening. Right. Day five goes by. And what were you saying? Holy shit. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I started facing reality. <laughs> I started facing reality that uh, it's something wrong with this system. And did you get lawyers to start the process of appeal? Oh, man, lots of money. Lots of money went to appeal lawyers. Uh, 17000 here, 20000 here. You know, just, and they just, them lawyers just eating me up. And that's the reason why I don't, I don't smile with lawyers like I used to, because uh, these lawyers just, is playing the game as well. Right. They just kept taking your money and not solving the problem. Just taking my money, you know, and, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, but, but I'm just saying they're taking my money, but how many others' money are they taking? Right. You know, I'm just talking about where do it stop at, Montel? You know, when do a guy get representation in this country? I mean, where do it start at? I thought it started when you pay a little lawyer and uh, he put that some kind of character about itself, you know. And, uh, and it seemed like when you pay a lawyer, you got to worry about him. Right. So how, Michael, how, you know, again, your record in prison was a model prisoner. But how did you keep yourself focused? What was what was going on that first four year, the first year? How did you keep yourself focused the first year? Well, I kept my first so focused because I kept the faith. You know, I kept the faith that uh, it, it was going to happen. I never lost faith that it was going to happen. I knew I knew at some point it was going to happen, <laughs> but I didn't think twenty five years later. So I didn't think it was that far. But, I mean, uh, well, along the way, did did uh, you filed for clemency? The governor Whitmer became the governor. What in um, oh, 20, yeah. uh, 2016 or so? Or I don't know how long she was when she became governor. But you filed for clemency before Governor Whitmer, did you not? Right, right. Uh, a Republican uh, governor, yes. 
Snyder. Yes, I probably him. And uh, I didn't expect too much of nothing. He held he held my petition for a long time, and then when he getting ready to leave, and then he decided not to grant it. He just denied it. Yeah, he just said, but he held it so long, you know. And and I thought it was an oversight. I thought, and uh, the mayor uh, Flint right now, Sheldon Nillian, told me that uh, uh, that he thought he was going to do something with it. Come because finally never did. And I mean, what were people saying to you, even I mean, while you were while you were going? Look, I mean, come on now, stop and put the reality hat on here. Look at my case. Why are people treating me this way? What was the answer that you would get? Well, I stopped worrying about that. At my job. I stopped worrying about what they what they was thinking. I was trying to now turn to what my nature, the nature of me. And that's saving other people, and uh, and and I, I started a, a this thing called uh, uh, wash your, wash your heart off, and uh, I did some workshops with some uh, young people in there, and man, they were really loving it. And I let them know know how much uh, uh, honorable man means to me. And and I also let them know that the only one can give orders out them gangbangers. I said the only one can give orders is the one who's earned stripes. I said anybody been to the military tell you you can't take it. They don't know nobody giving orders in the military unless they earn some stripes. And so you got these young people out, you know, these gangs trying to imitate the uh, military. And they got their little sergeants and all that. You know what I'm saying? That's, man, you, you guys playing games. And so what I did, and I broke it down to them in a way they can understand it. I told them that. I said, you uh, you got a guy who used to be an A student. And then uh, he, 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 he started using drugs and he started getting kicked in the ass and, and, and slapped around in the streets and nobody showed him no respect and he lived underneath the bridge. And so then he caught a case and he come to prison, they washed him off, put him the same clothes on. Everybody looked, looked the same. So you don't know who, who this man is. This man lived, lived underneath the bridge. But now he didn't come in here and, and he remember he went when he was a student and now he, 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 he can read the Bible, he can read the Quran well, he can read the laws to them guys. And now uh, he really profound to some of the young guys and, and he really fascinate them. And, but they don't know who he, where he come from, but now he's giving orders now. He's giving this man orders, put his life on the line because just for his word. And then, but what, he don't, what, what they don't know, this man ain't never earned no stripes. But he given orders, and this happens all over the world. You know, people that given orders and, and, and young guys following guys is that that they much way smarter than the guys that they giving giving them the orders. These young guys is following guys that's 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 that don't have nothing coming, but they got a whole lot coming. The only thing they got to do is just have more confidence in themselves. And uh, my thing was, when I went to prison, my dear, was 
I went in, uh, well, they call me Miko. And I went in and I said that my name is Miko, not Chico. And I ain't going to change my name for nobody. I'm, I went in with one name. I'm coming out with one name. I don't join nothing. And I, and I said, that, you know, I, I, I put it that I'm a man, just like another man. And I, I salute anybody that stands up like a man. But the ones who can't, I don't down them because there's a lot of pressure. They put on the young people in prison right now. A lot of pressure. And that's the reason why one of the things I want to talk about, you know, because uh, these streets is bloody. A lot of blood all over the streets, man, because they're not listening. And uh, they don't care. They don't care to try to stop the blood. And uh, I did 25 years. And, 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 and they can use me as a study. Man, and, and I can tell them some things that they can do to simply kill all this, man. They can kill all this. But they don't care. They don't want it because that workshop I was telling you about, the one that I was doing with the young people, it was so successful. It had nothing to do with no certificate. It just had something with it. it got to do with a guy's heart. If a guy wanted to wash his heart off, because everything starts with the heart. And if you wash that heart off, man, you can be truly free. You were helping those guys, and they were the guy. Clearly, the guys going through your your program were staying out of trouble, right? Yeah, they were staying out of trouble, but what's so bad about one day they they told us to stop it. They no longer want you want us to do them workshop. And I said, ask them why. And they said, we just don't want it. So what I'm telling you is, they couldn't believe that these guys following this program. And they couldn't believe they found this program and they weren't getting no certificates, no nothing. They were doing it on their own. They was committed to something on their own for themselves. They couldn't believe that, my dear. And they made you stop it. They made me stop it. They made me stop it. And so I said to myself, I said, man, I wonder, do they really give a damn? Do they really care? Do they, do they really want? Want, want peace in this country? Do they want love in this country? Do they even care about love? You know, and I, I just, that confused me, man. You know, how, how many years ago was that, or how many years into your time was that? Well, that was, that was just recently I did this, you know what I'm saying? Right before I came out, it's just about uh, two years after I came out. Two years before you came out, they made yeah, you yeah, yeah, two years before I came out, and uh, and uh, they didn't give no any reason, and and it just them guys, yeah, them young guys, was really loving it, man. They were really they was front and center every time uh, we did a bread breaking. You know, we fixed for for everybody, and everybody uh, had a meal, and we had pops and everything. And so I asked. Uh, uh, the guy was joining with me. I said, "How many people you think gonna salute me when I tell them to, when, when I salute them from the heart? Because they get they the game bangers. They belong to different organizations and stuff like that." I said, "How many people you think would would salute?" And uh, he said, "Probably about four. Mateo, I saluted them from my heart to their heart, and every one of them did it. At, 
same time. Everyone. And my friend didn't think but four was going to do it. And that right there told me that I touched something. I moved yeah. something. Even though, but I mean, now the system acknowledged the fact that you were model, acknowledged the fact that you were doing good for other inmates, but they still made you stop your program. Yes. And the question is why? Why would they want to stop something that was going doing good? And they never gave you an answer? No. During all that time that you were trying to do good for others, you were still trying to get out. I mean, I know that Back in 2018, again, you said that you first applied or I guess you, you must have filed with Governor Snyder before 2018. Right, right. And, you know, you didn't have the end swell. You didn't have the, the swell of support that you got under the Whitmer administration. When you started to find out that there were people on the outside that were starting to root for you and starting to talk about how egregiously offensive it was for you to be in there for as long as you were, how did that make you feel? Man, it made me feel good, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, and, and and especially somebody that, you know what I'm saying, I have a lot of respect for, you know, uh, his, his talk show, such as yours, it made me feel good because that gave me some real hope. And then when Chelsea Hanna and, and uh, Sean King and everybody started coming on board, and that, that, was, that, was, that was a blessing. Then um, Snoop Dogg and all of them started making comments, you know, that's, you know, that was an honor, man, for me to receive that from them. And uh, and they didn't have to do that. And then when uh, Kim Kardashian uh, uh, got the lawyer for me, Kim, out of Ohio, and uh, that lawyer, she, she she fought hard. She fought real hard. And so it just, all them people didn't even know me. Didn't even know me. But they was fighting for me. And you, and yeah. you fought, man. You fought, you fought, you fought, you fought. I, you was coming. I said, man, wait a minute. I think I met him somewhere before. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, you, you fight like you, you been knowing me all your life, man. And, well, yeah. you know what? I, I, I've known of you for quite a long time and always had respect for you, my friend, and, and really thought that it was just pure and simple insanity. I kept thinking every step, I, I will tell you that I kept thinking it's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen tomorrow. They're going to let him out tomorrow. They're going to make a decision tomorrow. I mean, I, I, and I'm sure that when you started getting and found out that a couple hundred thousand people had signed a petition for you, you must have felt the same way, that this is going to happen real soon, but it still took another two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, and I, I didn't think I had enough two and a half years in me. I really didn't. Yeah, I mean, I know. Now, again, when Governor, between Whitmer Snyder and Whitner, Whitmer, you read the newspaper, so then you hear that the state of Michigan passes a law that allows for marijuana to be sold and sold legally. What what did that I see? You roll your eyes, my brother. I mean, what went through your mind, man? Come on. She, man, I was wondering, was I crazy or they crazy? You know what I'm saying? Because, <laughs> uh, uh, I said, man, wait, this this don't take no brains. This take common sense. You know, this is this is like some, some some simple stuff, man. This don't take no rocket science to figure out, you know what I'm saying? This man, well, now since you legalize everything, you know what I'm saying, why is this man still lingering in prison? 
Right. I mean, they, they, and and what was what was the answer you were getting from other people, or from lawyers, or from you know the the, the jail system? What were they saying? Well, they was lost as much as I was because they they were wondering, man, why are you still in prison? What, what's going on? What's your lawyer doing? Everything. So it's just, everybody was fighting, man. But it seemed like nothing was everything was just stalemate, you know. And 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 until people like yourself and and other people started, you know, kicking the doors down, you know, and, and uh, start start spitting the truth to them, and. Uh, and I knew I was going to be all right, but I just didn't know when. Right. You never gave up hope? No, I never gave even up hope because uh, because the people that believed in me, they didn't never give up hope. All right. You lost your father, your mother. You lost your son while you were in prison, did you not? Yeah, right. Somebody told me, that I, I, what year was it that you went to your, your mother's funeral, right? And they sent you there handcuffed. Yeah, they sent me there handcuffed. Matter of fact, uh, they didn't only send me a handcuff. Uh, they forgot to send me, and uh, my my nephew was the state representative at the time, and and he raised hell to get me there. He told him to get me there, and so they had to take me to the church. Usually, take me to the funeral home, but they had to take me to the church because I they weren't going to take. They weren't even going to take me at first. It's insanity, my friend. What has it been like? Tell me a little bit about, I mean, when the, well, first off, let's back up. When you finally heard that, heard the news, they, what, they let you out at what, four in the morning? Yeah. Now, that's that's interesting. First, they said I was going to get out at eight o'clock in the morning, like everybody else do. And uh, then they come back and said, uh, no, you're leaving at four. I said, well, yeah, you got time to call your people. And I uh, said, yeah, 4 o'clock in the morning. I said, 4 o'clock in the morning. I said, wow. So then not only did they let me out at 4 o'clock in the morning, man, they didn't give me no kind of reentry. I didn't know nothing about nothing. I was wondering what I was supposed to do. And then uh, giving a person a duffel bag and take home with you. I said, no, no, man. So just policy and everything else. Man, they gave me a duffel bag. And, and I'm looking and I said, I asked my daughter, I said, where you get this duffel bag at? She said, they gave it to me and told me, go ahead and take it. Your clothes and some of your property is in there. I said, they gave you a duffel bag? Montia, that's nowhere. They'll give you a duffel bag to take home. But they gave me one. And they they, they didn't even prep you for the for leaving prison? No, no. No, they didn't give me no prep in there. They didn't give me anything. They, 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 they supposed to give me some of the stuff that when they take him when I first went to prison, if they got it, they supposed to give it back to me. But they didn't give me anything like that. I was lost. I was coming out. I was coming out of prison like this. If you see me, you see the first day I walked out. I was doing like this because I was doing like that because I want to know was I really truly free. You know, because, man, I didn't know if I was truly free, I was feeling like somebody just let me out the jungle. You know, just let me out the jungle and put me in the city. That's so crazy. I mean, they now, I mean, are you, tell me your status. Did they give you clemency or did she pardon you? What is the status? What was, what was the decision? 
they gave him commutation. Commutation. So that yeah. means they basically yeah. let you have a time served. No, they they no, they they they, they, they uh, uh, let me go free, but they gave me four years probation. Four years probation. Yeah, so that's basically what I'm doing. I'm still doing prison time. You know, uh, because I'm on a, uh, I got walk, walk with white gloves on. Uh, I got uh, any little thing and put me back in prison. They can lie on me and put me back in prison. Right now, four years is too much, man, for anybody after they done 25 years. And then you give them another four years. When you see that you made a mistake and you see that uh, uh, you should correct this mistake many years ago, but now you refuse to correct the mistake, and so you make it sound like you didn't did something for me when uh, you set me free. But the same, at the same time, you gave me four years to do under your jurisdiction. And, and like now, I mean, I, I I'm just gonna say you're 70 years old, right? Yes. So they can't require you to find a job because there's nobody out there hiring for people of your age, right? Right. But is that a requirement that you had to find a job? Well, well yeah, but I got to, uh, I got to, that's, that's something I want to speak about as well. Uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, there are some good people in the industry, you know, uh, marijuana industry. And just so happened, one reached out to me when I was in prison. His name Bob Dodge. And he reached out to me, man, and he, not only that, he bought my daughter a bed, bought her something else, you know, during the time I was locked up. My daughter kept, she came back to me, Dad, you, you got to meet this guy. This guy is really, he, he, he's a good guy. And uh, he want to help you. I said, yeah, well, okay. And so I didn't really pay too much attention to it. And then when I got out, when I got released, I met him at this this dinner they had for me, you know, when I got released. And, and uh and I spoke to him, man, and he felt real. You know how you can get good vibes from somebody. How you can, you know, and I, I, I deal on on that spiritual thing. You know, what I'm saying I, I, I can flow with another guy's spirit. You know, that's what I feel, and that's what kept me alive all these. You know, because I can experience it, and his spirit was was real. And uh, when he spoke, uh, I felt him, and. Uh, Everything that he said, Montel, he done. Like I got this cane right here. I've been crying because of his pain for 14 years. Uh, I've just been in pain, man. He just feel like my groin, feel like it hurt. Come to find out, I had a bad hip, man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, hip I wore down after so many years, wore down. And so he, he picked up the phone, got me an MRI done, and scam and everything. And they seen that, man, my bone was rubbing against another bone. I was, it got that bad because I've been crying for 14 years for some help. And the healthcare the system is, it is all the way broken. They do not care. And so he picked up the phone and got me that. Then he got me the doctor. And now I got, I got to have surgery tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. I hope it goes well. Yeah. They're doing a hip replacement? Yeah, right. Got it. I know. Hmm. In Michigan, wow. I wish I would have known about that ahead of time. Because you know, there's a guy who's a very close friend of mine who is one of the top 
hip replacement doctors in the country is in Flint, Michigan. What? Yes. One of the top ones in the country. I would have reached out to him for you if I'd have known that earlier. Oh, my dear, man. Sorry, Reverend, but are are they doing it robotically? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know anything, but the, the guy that I was speaking about is right here next to me. Uh, his name, Bob Dodd. He's ready. To, he he want to help me get the doctor that, that, that examined me, and they would have been real thorough, man. And then help me get the dentist. Uh, the dentist oh, man, she been, she, my fact, she called me today and asked if I need anything, some help to make sure everything was straight. And, uh, and she been, she been an angel, man. And, uh, it just, uh, uh, him, the reason why I speak about him, you know, that's the reason why I can't speak about all marijuana companies because some is, uh, are doing good, uh, f- uh, for the people and, and, uh, and, and thank God they got some big marijuana companies because, because they got the heart to, uh, uh, do something real good for the people that need help. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they listen, man. They listen. If you, if you go to them with, with uh, uh, some something that you know got some fruit to it, they'll listen to you. But you go to them just trying to get some money and trying to play games. They don't. Uh, they shouldn't listen listen to you. But the thing is, there's got they got some good people in the industry. All of them is not bad. Just like oh, no, the indi- yeah, the industry did step up to the plate to help you, my friend. I mean, I know that you know the last prison project, which is sponsored by the industry. Um, you know, a lot of people came through, signed petitions, and literally did a lot of the hard work and heavy lifting to help get you out. Um, are they helping you right now trying to find a job? But again, I, I didn't answer me with that question. Does the state require you to have a job now? Yeah, okay. But let me ask you. Let me ask a question. You're right, because I didn't answer the question. Uh, uh, I am hired by him. Got it. Uh, and uh, he hired me, and, and uh, he been paying me every month, good out of my town. And he been making sure I got everything I need. And uh, the home I'm living in right now, it's a beautiful home. He made sure uh, that, that and, and through this, uh, well, John King, he stepped up like never before through this GoFundMe thing. And uh, so it just, uh, uh, just, just like, uh, when I need, like I need somebody to operate this computer, you know, stuff like that, because I, I wouldn't, you know, you got to understand, man, I'm totally ignorant to these computers. I'm trying to get used to the car talking to me, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> uh, and all that kind of stuff, you know what I'm saying. Uh, I'm trying to get, get me with that because I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm touching it, and I'm, I'm trying to it really, man, how the hell they did this? How they, how they, they got a car I can tell you you can be in California, and I can tell you, punch it in, and they can tell you, take me to California. You know, man, that that ain't something you just look over. Man, that's a brilliant, that's some, that's some brilliant stuff going on, man. My mind wide. Yeah, so many things changed from the time that you went into the time now. I mean, are you are you finding it? Do people recognize you on the streets there? Yeah, they recognize me. Yeah, they recognize me. Uh, it's funny, you know that you know, but they show a lot of love, my dear. Yeah, show a lot of love, man. I mean, I know, uh, yeah. Look, I know, I know. One of the big reasons why you were able to get out it was because of 
COVID, I mean, the fact that COVID was hitting and, and you were suffering from some health issues yourself. How was, how did you find COVID being dealt with while you were in prison? Good no, man. I had COVID. You had COVID too, right? Yeah, yeah, I had COVID. Uh, look, man, I woke up, I woke up one day, man, I had a beard. I was wondering how the hell I get a beard. And I don't remember, uh, you know what I'm saying, uh, 14 days later, I wonder what happened to them 14, I'm still trying to figure out what happened to them 14 days and I woke up with a beard, I'm like this. Man, what? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, see, so it's just uh, uh, that cobra is a bad, the baddest thing you ever hit her. That, that uh, you know, it don't care who you are, you know what I'm saying? It don't discriminate, you know, and there's a lot of people that died, you know what I'm saying, in COVID. But one thing about that COVID, when it touch you, you might not die from it. Damn it, they're going to make you have to recover from it. In some kind of way, you know, and you're gonna protect the weakest part of your body that you're dealing with. And uh, and I said to that cobra, I went to the window, hospital window, looked out the window. I told I told that cobra, I said, "You picked the right MF this time. I'm gonna fight your ass." And I fought it. And I'm I'm gonna recover from it now. I think that reading that hip. I think that help is uh, that COVID let me know. Yeah, okay, uh, you whoop me, but I'm gonna whoop you a little bit too. And so uh, going now, I gotta go have operation. So, so he that COVID got to laugh, laugh. But uh, well, you gonna laugh, laugh after you got that surgery tomorrow because you're gonna feel so much better. Oh, I yeah. guarantee that. I know some people have been through that surgery, and you know you're gonna you're gonna feel like you got a new you. You be out there dancing with that cane, yeah. <laughs> right? That's right. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. But now, so I mean, but but where did while you were in prison and you're dealing with this, where where the was a system set up to handle COVID? No, 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 no. They wouldn't set up, and they weren't even trying to get set up for it. Uh, Look, as far as I'm concerned, they, I guess they thought that they, they need a few of them to die anyway. See, this is our way. This is our way out. And uh, they just they knew they knew it was coming. They had warning, but they didn't try to stop it. And a lot of friends of mine was dying. Man. And I'm looking at them. And then I talked to a guy, and a guy tell me, "You know what? His name just died." And I said, "What?" And he said, "You know, such such just died." I said, "What?" And they was dying, man. And I was wondering when I was, I gonna be next. Wow. They don't care. They don't care, Montel. That's why I'm saying it's a lot of things that I I can speak about because I'm going to speak the truth. And they can listen to me and I can tell them what's going on in there, what's what's really happening. Why are these streets turning red all of a sudden? You know what I'm saying? The only thing you got to do is just listen to what I'm telling them and uh, start doing right. Quit turning your head to the truth. Quit being a politician all the time. You know, be a human being, show some kind of humanity towards another human being. I'm telling you, well, I'm so glad that the governor ended up showing you some humanity. Have you? Did you have an opportunity to say thank you to her? No, uh, but I would, I would, uh, uh, they uh, they uh, they working on it, trying to trying to get it. But the attorney general, that's another one. Your friends, I can yes. tell you, 
uh, the attorney general, I, I, I spoke to her and me and her, uh, me and her uh, shared some tears together, you know, and, uh, and then she, she, she's a beautiful soul. And well, you know, when you talk to her again, tell her, I said, thank you for responding to me. I was, I was just so happy that she literally reached back out and sent that letter out and it was quoted in the newspaper as a saying that, you know, she was going to do everything she could do to get yeah. you. She did. Yeah. And uh, I know who was pushing her. And you was pushing her. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, not really what you call pushing her, but you was, you was there, man. You was there and uh, you was in the air. You was in the air and, and uh, both of y'all worked good together. Absolutely. Have you gotten an opportunity to to, now that you, you said you got a chance to shed some tears, but have you had an opportunity to sit down and give her some conscious or some some real good criticisms about what needs to be changed in the prison system? That's what our next. That's what I'm trying to do now. I'm trying to get another uh, set with her. You know, what I'm saying we talk real business. You know, what I'm saying the emotional thing that's over with. Now let's talk. Let, let me tell you the truth. Let me speak to you about something you probably don't know about. It because I lived it for 25 years. I heard the voices. You know what I'm saying? I still hear the voices. You know what I'm saying? So all I'm doing, telling, telling her, I want to tell her everything I know that I believe that can help. Give me some examples of some of the stuff that you think could help right now if they may put some changes in place in the prison system. Oh, good. I'm ready to go. Please. I, the, Prison reform is what uh, they well, they just started a thing called Michael Thompson's uh, clemency uh, project, and uh, and and this guy named Horace Peterson, they got something going right now in uh, Lansing uh, for this guy Horace Peterson. Horace Peterson has been in prison for 50, 53 years, man. And uh, but let me explain something to you about that though. Okay, the prison reform. All they got to do, man, is, is, is see them guys in prison have been in prison all that long, 40 years, 50 years, all that. These guys are called OGs. And uh, them OGs can come back in their community. They like fathers, man. They like fathers to their community. And a lot of them young guys look up to them cats, man, you know what so. But this guy, Horace Peterson, and I want you to really check this out, uh, my dear. This big guy, uh, Horace Peterson. Horace Peterson, that felony murder. They got so many guys in there on that felony murder. That means that because you was there, you got the same time that trigger happy cat that you took in there with you. And he went in there with the intention to kill, but you didn't. But he went in there with a gun, but you didn't. And these guys didn't have no gun. They had no intention of going and killing nobody. But because somebody killed somebody, they at the same time. Now, all these guys I'm speaking about, uh, they've been in prison 50 some years now, 40 some years. Then you got a guy named Robert Cannon. He, he in a fist fight. The guy died in a, in a fist fight. They both it, it was fisting, fisting up together. And, and he's been down 36 years. So it was not his intention to kill nobody. You know, if he was, you know what I'm saying? He had a gun. He had a weapon or something. It's just a fist fight. Just how, how we grew up. You know, grew up fist fight, you know what I'm saying? And, and stuff like that. There ain't nothing wrong with that. And, uh, uh, and then you need to bring back the good time. Good time. 
you give a guy a sentence of, of uh, you know, to work his way down to, to, to it set his own self free. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and then the vigil family, the rope, I call it, the rope. Vigil uh, fenders only, they only put vigil uh, fenders on guys of people of color. They don't do that with white guys too often. Very seldom, very seldom. And that vigil fender, they use it when they get ready. You know, they read it, when they get ready to chop you up, they, you know, or they really get ready to put that rope really around your neck. They put that vigil fender on it, which they did to me. And see, so that vigil fender need to be demolished. That uh, felony murder need to be revisited. And the good time need to be restored. Because I mean, I, I can see, what, especially when it comes to felony, to uh, you know, uh, uh, the person who gets the same charge as the person who pulled the trigger. You know, I I, I can definitely see why after forty years, or right, after you know, just thirty years, I, most of these guys are not now turned into seventy-year-old hardened criminals. There you go. There you go. They they didn't outgrew uh, the criminal mentality, man. They didn't outgrew that. And these are the people that can you can put back in your community and save your community and help them help these young kids find their fathers. Because you got to understand, a single mother trying to raise a child right today, and she's trying to work too. You know, the child can turn to some love somewhere because they. Mother ain't gonna be able to give a give a child that much love uh, as a single parent, and so the child gonna turn to the street for some love. And when the child turns to the street for some love, eventually, penitentiary will become their mother and their father. Absolutely, my friend. Well, I can't wish you more than I, I, the most happiness in the world, my friend. I, I hope that your surgery goes well tomorrow. Um, I really, really do. And um, you say thank you to the gentleman who has been helping to take care of you and give you the job that you need. And I hope that I hope that maybe they consider giving you the Michael Thompson brand of cannabis. I mean, you know, why not? <laughs> I mean, OG, OGM, OGMT. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, something like that. I definitely, if I was in the state of Michigan, I would definitely go look for it in the dispensary. You know, exactly. look for it for sale. Because, uh, you know, I think that since you spent so much time on behalf of this industry, I think you should make some money off this industry, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I know that that's probably something that uh, you can't do for at least four years. And you probably, they'll probably try to put some restriction on you to be able to be able to deal with. Cannabis, but I, from a licensing standpoint, you have a right to sell your license, and your yes. license is your image. Yes, right. That's no, right. you know your image is a, uh, you know again. I think that OGMT man, that that sounds like good stuff to me. <laughs> the man standing right there, I put that brand out tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so people yeah, yeah. Up. yeah, man. Uh, uh, hey, I was Bob. How would you meet uh, Matia? <clears throat> I want to see your face, man. Oh, right. No, how are you? How are you? So, Thank he you. Is, so we are a licensed cannabis facility, grow and cultivation and processing, and he is employed through us, our company. 
So we're doing a lot for him. He's great to have him on board. It's 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 a pleasure to meet you. Absolutely, sir. Well, I know you know I I got a brand that's out there. That's uh, matter of fact, we just signed a deal here in the East Coast, and we're getting ready to to start sending our products. We're doing our CBD first, and then you know later this year we'll be uh, you know going into a THC line again, and maybe I'll come in and see you guys and see. What Definitely, I got Mike Tyson coming in Friday. Oh, well, there you go. All right, yeah. good again. Good again. I like the MTOG. <laughs> oh, come on, man! I think you got to do that because Michael Cotton <laughs> out in every state. Everybody knows about him. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean, and and uh, and which well, after you you recover from this surgery tomorrow, and it shouldn't take you more than about a week or two, I think, to get back up and moving because yeah. they love to get you walking like the first or second day. I think yeah. it's the second day. So what are your plans for the next year or so? You got to get through this this four-year probation, but what's what's your plan for, let's say, in the next couple of months? Well, the next couple of months, is, is my thing is uh, prison reform. And uh, to, like I said, them guys, they down in Lansing right now uh, at the governor's uh, house protesting for this guy named Horace Peterson. And uh, and they they using a video I did, uh, uh, Michael Thompson Clemency uh, Project, and uh, I'm working with them, uh, but but the, the uh, prison reform. I just want people to understand uh, uh, what's happening with them guys in there, and oh. and they hurting man, they suffering in there. Man. And you know the great flood came out, my dear. Uh, they the washing machine broke down, and they didn't care. They didn't try to get it fixed and nothing, nothing like that. And uh, and I washed my clothes in the toilet too. And uh, because of water, the flush in the water gave me a better rent. And uh, and it's just that they didn't even try, man. They didn't even try to get uh, uh, to get it fixed. But as far as I'm concerned, I was wearing some clean clothes. But it may sound bad, you know what I'm saying, me uh, washing my clothes in the toilet. But as far as I'm concerned, it was clean. They were clean, you know. So it just, I had to find some kind of way. But it's, So basically what I'm saying, I say all that to say this to you, my dad. They don't care. They have no fear of the consequences of their actions whatsoever. Well, I'm so glad that you were out there, Michael. You're being heard. Keep that voice as loud as you possibly can, my friend. I do wish you so well from the surgery and hope you recover quickly. And I hope there are no long lingering symptoms from COVID. And I know you're in good hands with some people out there who are helping to take care of you. And um, you know when you when you're ready to 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 get that brand up and moving around the country, <laughs> reach out to me. You know what I mean? Because uh, reach out to me because I'll make sure I scream at the, at the loudest trumpets you can hear from. Okay. Okay, I appreciate it. So, and I appreciate you coming on. And you know, you always have a home here as you're moving forward and and getting some of these initiatives, you know, brought to bear and and getting people to, to listen. You know you always have a platform here, okay, Michael? I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank well, you. I thank you. I thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. I know our viewers are going to love the fact that you were here, and they applaud the fact that you are looking healthy and looking well. And now let's get you up and walking well. And uh, you take care of yourself, yourself, my brother, okay? Hey, thank you. Yes, sir. Thank appreciate you. It. And thank it. you for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.
Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.